Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 152. Sitting in Studio C at MotorWeek headquarters today is writer-producer Brian Robinson. Hello, John. Road test producer Ben Davis. I'm pumped. You really don't sound pumped. <laughs> Assistant producer Greg Carlos. Hey. And online content coordinator. Gosh, I don't think I can say that fast. Patrick Lucas. All right, we can, OCC. We can, we can and, change that. And title. Patrick is also the producer of our podcast, and he's put together a lightning round of viewer questions. Uh, we'll see if anybody has a rant and rave after the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. But first, let's run down some of the cars we've been testing in Motor Week lately, starting with. The long-awaited, finally here, and frankly, pretty amazing 2017 Alfa Romeo Giulia. Ben, you are up close and personal the most. Give us uh, the lowdown. Yes, sir. I had a chance to drive um, all the trim models. I was on on track in Quadrifoglio. And um, in race mode, it is got an extremely direct steering. Amazing. Very, very strong at center. Um, and that also dampens your uh, – it also uh, beefs up your suspension and – uh, more boost and all that stuff. But uh, 2.9 Ferrari derived V6, what that means is it's pretty much the same engine team that built the uh, 3.9 uh, V8 that was in the California. Let's get, let's get down to it. 505 horsepower? 505 horsepower. Does it feel like it? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. All right. Everybody's saying, oh, you know, is it is it an M3? What is it compared to? But it, does that really matter? Well, that's interesting because Robin, Brian and I brought this up. They do compare it to the M3 and the uh, ATS-V and all that stuff. But Brian say, and they consider it a midsize car, but those M3, ATS-V, they're not considered midsize they're cars. They're big cars. Well, they're, they're considered, considered compacts. Yeah, but they're big for their size. Right, but so we're, this is a weird category because it's a midsize car, so it right. should be going up against an M5, but it isn't. Yeah, to me, they should be comparing it to an M5, but... They seem to be comparing it. Everyone else seems to be comparing it to an M3 as well. But. Yeah, and the, and I Alpha didn't really think well. about it that way because it's, it's smaller than an M5, isn't it? And at least I've seen it. I've seen it like every single auto than show. An, for it's like two smaller years. than an M5, but I the guess interior, technically it's bigger than the an M3. interior volume is bigger than M3, but it's bigger smaller than ATSV. Than M5. But and, you know, it's, it's, it comes in at a hundred cubic feet, and uh, M5 is one hundred and four. Okay, so it's yeah. It, I think it beats all of those as far as appearance. It's yeah. awesome in the fact that it, it definitely brings back us. I mean, you could argue great that, mark. that BMW kind of loses the driving experience. There's just so much gadgetry in these performance right. cars these days that Alpha doesn't seem to be taking it in that direction. Um, you can control what you need to control, and it's very simple, very user-friendly. But it's also clean in that elegant, high-performance kind of way. I mean, you have your, your DNA Pro where you've got the, the DNA settings that we're mm-hmm. all familiar with, dynamic and natural, but you also have a race setting, and that takes care of all your performance uh, setups and everything. Everything's clean. And in that aspect, that brings back a more driver-focused experience that I haven't mm-hmm. seen in, in, the, in the German competition for a while. Well, on that note, the like when they uh, originally started talking about it, they said it was going to be manual only the Quadrifoglio. Yeah. Now it's Eight automatic only, only, not even a manual available. Is that not? Well, they stress yet anyway. Okay. But yeah, that seems to be 
a bummer, a that, bummer for that a lot of people. That 8-speed, is that their own, or is that the ZF? That is a good question. Yeah. I don't remember offhand, and I tried to research that. because yeah. I know. Probably Fiat's own, since they make the one that Chrysler's using and everyone else is okay. using. But okay. I'm, I'm guessing. I really yeah. don't know. Yeah, I, I, I thought I saw some literature to the fact that FCA does use uh, the ZF as well, 8-speed yeah. and some Maybe. stuff, so I don't know. Well, yeah. they're doing some, yeah. Yeah, the original Ram and all that had yeah. ZF, in it, but... It makes no mention in their spec sheet today about um, who has it. It on, does say that it's it all new, say though, right? Uh, the, the transmission? No, they just say 8-speed automatic. It doesn't say anything. didn't give you any specs about it. Or, That's know, cool. Anything, I, thought, yeah. I thought I saw a couple breaths of saying that it was an all-new trans. Yeah, could be. Uh, what we'll, about we'll, the we'll research it and put it in a footnote on the video. So yeah. watch the video. Lesser move, <laughs> lesser models. There's uh, lesser models, four cylinder, yeah. uh, two other trims with four cylinders. Yeah, it's a two liter, tur- uh, two liter turbo. The ubiquitous European two liter, two hundred and eighty horse, and um, all the Julias will have will have near fifty fifty weight balance, mm-hmm. uh, carbon fiber drive shafts in all models. Um, same eight speed automatic as well. Um, in this one though, you can get uh, all wheel drive. Which mm-hmm. works great. You can put 60, important if for northeast. Yeah, sixty percent of the torque up front. Um, I drove the TI model, which had the best sport mode. They call it dynamic, but you could leave it in there all day long. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I drive like an old man, but I found myself really uh, subconsciously carving roads in this mm-hmm. thing, which I never do because I'm old. The thing felt great. Um, there, I had the Q2 model, which gives you a mechanical uh, limited slip in the rear, and you can get a Q4 which is all-wheel drive, and it still has that mechanical uh, diff. And I thought, it, I thought it was just awesome. And it's going to be strong competition for A4, uh, base A4, base 3 series. That was, was going to be my question. So we talked about the quadrifolio a lot, and it's from what you've told me and everybody, it sounds like that's the emotion that we've been looking for as people who've driven M3s, M5s, and everything. Like yeah. every report that we give is like kind of soulless and emotionless. Right. So that that said, for the Quadrifolio, mm-hmm. now with the lesser ones, I mean, do you really think – do they have, like, that same kind of carryover emotion there? Like, what's going to be the selling point for somebody who's looking in that category? But Let, let me boil it down. If you, if you drove a, a base 3 series and you drove a, a, a base uh, um, Julia – what do you think the biggest difference would be to, as far as driving experience? The subtle driver inputs like throttle response and, and steering response. So there is more feel to the yeah. steering, you think? Definitely more feel to the yeah. steering. Um, not having driven them back-to-back, but from what I can remember, there is. And, uh, and a crisper throttle response, which uh, basically, I mean, mm-hmm. with steering feel and throttle. Are people yeah. going to buy this thing? I mean, that's that's big a question. good question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many I think times it's going to be you, a specialized taste. I uh, think just because yeah. it's an... Uh, uh, a different take on premium midsize or premium, you know, alternative to three or a four, maybe. I think it's anybody that cares about driving might be interested into it, but your average person that just is going after a mark, they're going to stick mm-hmm. with the BMW. But I, frankly, I, think of it this way. You have a chance to drive in any Alfa Romeo, basically something that's almost as rare as a full blown exotic for a fraction of the price. And it has the same pedigree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've been—I was looking at the four C's, and you think about it, you know, even if you want one new for sixty-five grand or whatever the price is, uh, you're getting a car that's as rare as hen's teeth and has an awful lot of heritage. Yeah, to it, so. I never see those things around. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they are awesome cars. Most dealers have one. 
and it tends to be white. Yeah, that car is full carbon monocoque. Yeah. For the, yeah. for the money, it's insane. All right, we could probably sit here and talk about the return of Alpha to the U.S. all day, but we're going to move along to um, a car that basically is probably more in the price class of an awful lot of you out there, and a very good choice, probably, the uh, 2016 Nissan Sentra. It's Much more a, exciting. Yes. A, uh, <laughs> a full, uh, a, very, a quite comprehensive facelift for 16. Uh, we had it in here amongst a lot of other vehicles, but I remember looking at it and saying, okay, um, you know, you've got a lot of cars in this class. You've got Civic, you've got Corolla. A lot of the Nissan products, sedans seem to get lost when in comparisons, but they sell so well and everybody seems very happy with them. And this looks like another case for that point. Yeah. If you're looking for a really inexpensive, uh, car with a lot of space in it uh you could do worse that's for sure the amazing big, amount of room on the inside yeah really. the big changes for 16 they you know spruced up the outside a little mm-hmm. bit gave it the v-motion grill and they uh retuned the whole chassis so it, it drives a lot sportier than it used to and the interior they gave it the ultima style of instrument cluster so it had so really if you popped in and out of a, a, the bigger um, uh, four-door you wouldn't notice much difference Anybody remember about actual driving experience? I remember it as solid, uh, you know, not exciting, but comfortable. Yeah, it kind of falls in line with in that class of vehicles where we probably talk similarly about a Corolla, where it does everything better than it has to, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it does everything you need. It looks good, um, and I remember the seats being really comfortable. Um, So in that aspect... It's an extremely solid car, and if you just want to get away from people who – or get away from that Corolla, then definitely a and good you, option. you can get Nissan surround view camera. Absolutely, which, which is a huge – I, I mean, That's a huge I, I think point. we kind of forget about how useful that is, especially if you live in a city. If you're parallel parking and you have a 360-degree camera, that is extremely useful. Yeah, I, I think this one is more the luxury kind of uh, – like you said, feature technology-packed one, whereas the Civic and the Corolla have gotten really focused on style, I think. And this one is sort of more focused on substance, which when you're spending, we don't have a lot of money to spend. You want substance sometimes over style. So I think this is probably where people would definitely see the value over a Civic or a Corolla. Good value and a, a large compact well stated, Patrick. Uh, the, well stated, the Nissan Sentra. That was well done. Uh, let's move on to a car that's actually a competitor for the Julia that we started off the show, and that's the 2017 Audi A4. I remember when I opened the door and got in, I just said, wow, you know, they, they just do the best. And Audi mm-hmm. does the best interiors out there. I don't think anybody else can hold a candle to them. But what about the rest of the I car? got my, my 09 A4. And uh, I was just sort of getting over being in love with Audis, mm-hmm. especially the A4. Um, and I was, every time we get a 3 Series in or, like, we had the ATS mm-hmm. or something, I thought, these are all really strong, solid competition. Maybe if I had to do that again, I probably maybe I wouldn't get an A4. But then this one came in, and the styling was a little sharper than mine, my generation. But the interior, yeah, is just amazing. And it, it I don't even uh, necessarily mind the 2-liter turbo I4. I used to hate it um but it works really well it drives really well it's really comfortable a lot of technology and uh, i think it's super and that looking. shows a lot about the competition a newcomer like the julia is up against yeah yep. yeah it seems like they uh they glanced over the exterior if you look at a uh a 16 compared to a 17 you won't notice a ton Mm-mm. different um but yeah like you said jumping in that's 
where all the changes kind of come to. And uh, the my question is is how much is the virtual cockpit as an add on? I assume you have to go to a technology package, but that thing is all. I mean, that it's awesome, that to me is what <laughs> separates it from yeah. the previous gen. But how much more do you have to spend to get that? I mean, if you're going, if you can't afford that, are you getting much? Are you still getting that same effect that we're talking about? Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure. It's standard on the highest trim level. Right in the middle trim level, you can add it, and it's part of an overall technology package. I want to say it's like two grand, th- maybe a little less than that. I think our tester was probably top of the line, but that yeah. that was like in the mid 50s. Yeah, I want to say. That which was is really, about which what is we expensive. see when we see that. Yeah, that size a car from a German car company or for that European command. Yeah, but if you have that option and you're thinking about it, I would certainly – It's worth the money. Yeah. And, awesome. it's, it is great. And most Audi and buyers and most buyers in this class lease their vehicles anyway. Right. So, True. you know, it, I'm not sure how much more it is a month, but it's probably more affordable that way. Uh, okay, so kudos for A4, Sentra, and Julia. And we're going to move on now to our lightning round where our panelists have two minutes to debate a trending automotive topic. When time's up, Patrick's going to hit the bell, and we'll probably stop at some point. Okay, uh, article that was flying around this week talking about how General Motors uh, has been delaying bringing out their version of autonomous driving. It's called Super Cruise. They've talked about it for a couple of years. That's a cool name. Uh, they've been worried about <laughs> the same kind of safety issues marketing. that have dogged Tesla. There was a letter that was sent from the uh, the feds to GM basically saying we've got some concerns over some of the systems in it. We think it'll work, but have you made sure that you've addressed all the uh, possibilities of this going wrong? And the gist of it is, unlike other systems where you have to keep your hands on the wheel now uh, or the system will default to alt, this system uses uh, eye recognition and some other sensors to tell whether or not you are paying attention or whether you're dozing off, or you've crawled into the back seat, whatever. And at that point, it will shut. The, it will give you a warning and eventually uh, bring you to a stop on the side of the road. What do we gain, I guess? Are we ready for this kind of stuff? We've already seen that they don't work as advertised. Our own comments have been you have to spend more time worrying about the systems, uh, you know, doing something crazy, and so it's not relaxing at all. <coughs> Any update on your thoughts about these semi-autonomous systems and whether something like Super Cruise is, should even come to market? Well, the fact that it doesn't work when you're not paying attention uh, kind of defeats the purpose for me. I would like to... <laughs> Not pay attention and have it drive for me. That would be the only purpose I see in it. If I'm going to be paying attention, uh, I might as well be doing the driving as well. So I, it seems kind of uh, pointless at that point. Well, it, all of them do. I mean, at this point, you I have to hang that. your hands on the well, steering wheel. It's you know, it's I never really thought this much into it until you literally just bring it up. So the Super Cruise system, right? When you don't respond to the verbal and the audible and the it will slow you word. down and eventually so if you're stop in you. traffic it'll it'll try and get to the side of the road from what i understand but yep. if it can it'll just stop you in the middle, middle of the no road. i think it i don't think it'll stop you in the middle of the road i think it'll get you off the road okay either Near way i understand it's still kind of dangerous but then you think okay well why doesn't it just you know stop working well that's also dangerous because you're obviously not paying sure. attention so yeah i didn't really think about it that way and Maybe we're just like really trying to push it when we shouldn't be instead of just developing yeah, I, and waiting till we're absolutely ready. I agree because we had, so you had stuff like this where it'll 
threaten to like stop you. Um, I think the Mercedes Drive Pilot does that too. Right. If it you does. stop responding, it'll as slow does you down. the Volvo system. Um, like, and then we had the Seven Series, which has a pretty robust semi-autonomous system. But I think we brought it up earlier. It's that in itself is so distracting trying to drive autonomously because you are hovering your hands over the wheel, you're hovering your feet over the brake pedal in mm-hmm. case the system just suddenly decides to stop working. And then when you're doing all that, you're not paying attention to your blind spots, what's in front of you, what's going That's on around point. you. So it's, I don't, I mean, it takes away certain distractions, but then it brings on new distractions. I wonder if these are just right now like, hey, I've got a semi-autonomous car. Mm-hmm. Cool know, party trip. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's a new pony, and if I'm on an interstate at 70 miles an hour and not in a particular hurry, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll do just fine mm-hmm. if it's straight and it's not a lot of traffic and, you know, asterisk and asterisk and another <laughs> asterisk. <laughs> I know. Uh, good luck to General Motors. Uh, we have, we can't wait to try Super Cruise, um, but we're just not ready. Sure, if any of this stuff is ready for prime Super time. Super Cruise. I can't get over that Super name. Cruise. That's a super name. It's a good name. I hope it comes to market soon, yeah. just for the name. Well, it was supposed to be out on the 16 um, Cadillac CTS. That didn't happen now. It's supposed to come out after the first of the year. Okay. Our video editor, Ron Hahn, oh. who is not in the studio Why isn't he in here ans- asking this question? Uh, he should be on, yeah, on microphone and camera. Ronald Honnold. <laughs> I can't do a Ron. Anybody do a Ron impression? I'm sure oh, yeah. 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 If you can, read the you – know, yeah. Ron is a very good editor who's very quiet, quiet spoken, and I don't think I can t- turn my voice down that low in volume. Okay, Ron says, my wife and I both have a very short this day to commute. One. It's a long one. All back roads. We're located about three miles from major shopping centers, grocery stores. I like the idea of having a full electric uh, or a hybrid PHEV. However, the past winter uh, hit us pretty hard on the East Coast. Her Honda Fit, as well as his uh, front-wheel drive Buick Encore, were unable to travel steep hills of their driveway. Is there any affordable all-wheel drive plug-in option available, one coming down the pipeline under 35 k before or after incentives? The short answer about PHEV is no. Uh, The long answer is you've got the next best thing. You've got two very, very affordable uh, hybrid all-wheel drive vehicles, and I say affordable, under 30 grand. Um, The uh, RAV4 from Toyota, uh, which all-wheel drive is standard, and that's been out for a while now. And also the uh, new uh, freshened uh, Nissan Rogue Hybrid, which will come in both front and all-wheel drive. Both of them uh, start under thirty grand, a couple grand under thirty. Can anyone think of anything else? Just buy some winter tires or move. That's my uh, suggestion. That is a probably less expensive. I had uh, had to cut down a lot of this question, but he did mention something about should I just buy winter tires or yeah, on that's probably on a a plug-in. No, or no, no, on, on what he's got no, right now. Yeah. It, it, he's he's got all-weather tires, or he's got, you know, he's got... Well, in the Encore, I'm sure he's got those low-profile yeah. all-seasons that are And he's got a Honda Fit's got really hard mileage tires, so mm-hmm. neither one of those are worth a darn yeah. and when even it comes if to you're snow. going the RAV4 hybrid, that thing's probably got 17-inch wheels with low-profile tires, too. That's not going to do that much better in snow, even mm-hmm. with all-wheel drive. So. Is, is the Rogue hybrid a... Like a mild hybrid? Or is that like a full plug-in? It's, a full, it's not a plug-in. It's a full hybrid like a Prius, like the Toyota RAV4. Like you get like 20 miles yeah. of EV range. Yeah, something. I'm not sure what the <clears throat> mile per gallon is, but it's be, it's being, it's being a direct competitor to the RAV4, okay. which basically has the Prius Write this down, Ron. <laughs> or just shovel the driveway. Uh, there's <laughs> a, a front-wheel drive uh, Ford 
What a, a C-Max Energy. That's a plug-in hybrid. That is a yeah, plug-in hybrid, but it's front-wheel drive only. Yeah, it's almost a crossover. Yeah. But, but yeah. It, let's let's transition this real quickly since it's the time of year to talk about winter tires, not snow tires, right. winter tires. I think they make sense on everything if you're going to be out in snow. Well, I don't care whether you've got a two- or four-wheel drive. Any comments? I mean – yeah. But you're just talking yeah. all seasons? No, I'm well most almost everything's got all season tires and if it doesn't it's got something even worse for snow which is performance tires. What about in our area which is mid-Atlantic and we get, you know, a half a dozen uh decent snowfalls. What about winter tires for some place other than the upper Midwest or the Northeast? Does it make sense? I was just on the uh I went on a trip to see Tyrax facility and I was there with Michelin was there too, and they were showing off um, all their their winter tires and stuff like the people don't think about. Uh, went, like tire compound alone mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. Not I mean, let alone I mean all the um, tread patterns and like tread depth and stuff like that. Just winter tire compound itself is way better at stopping on um, pavement or surfaces than than all seasons. Way better. So yeah, even I mean, on a road with no snow, just exactly. cold pavement, they're exactly. going to do a lot better. Uh, I go back and forth about it myself every year, but I, unless we have a really bad winter, I don't really see need for it here in our area. There have been times when it might have come in handy, but generally we get like two or three days where it's where you would really need something like that. Otherwise, you need to stay home. Yeah. yeah otherwise, <laughs> unless you're really concerned about safety and you have to be on the road, I'm in Brian's camp. Just to me, it, for for me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. To you know, I disagree from this aspect uh, that when I'm out in snow and I see people blowing by you and you know Jeep Grand Cherokees and stuff, they're okay until they get to the stop sign yeah. or the stoplight, and then. They basically, even in a few inches of snow, they've got problems. And we all know that the winter tires will stop better in wet and slushy and even snowy conditions. So I guess my feeling is, is if you have to go out and go to work, and a lot of people do, they don't have the luxury of staying home. You've got to get whatever, uh, you're a hospital worker. Spend a little extra money, you know, and get yourself a good set of winter tires. And I say that knowing well that, you know, a Tire Rack is one of our advertisers. But there's a lot of places you can get these. But you can certainly go to their site and sort them out and, and see prices. But I think that's a good yeah, idea. And a lot of those people, a lot of those companies even have packages where they'll sell them to you on some cheap steel yeah. wheels. Yeah, and that's actually the way to go. So you don't have to be changing them all the time. Yeah, and some local uh, shops will even store your... They'll swap your rubber out right. and store the oh, rubber for you yeah. through the uh, winter. Yeah. All right, so our advice, yeah, if you got to go out, get some tires, and you don't necessarily need all-wheel Just drive. Do it. Rant and rave. Anybody got anything that's uh, after uh, Thanksgiving besides turkey that's sticking in their uh, craw? I'm I've got one. Okay. Um, just from a lot of the uh, holiday drivers, people who may not drive a ton, um, and especially in your, when you're in an area that you don't know and you might be using Google Maps, if if you make a mistake and miss a turn, or <laughs> or just is. or just go to the wrong <laughs> turn, don't stop or back up. You are, are not the only person on the road, and it really it's if it costs you an extra five minutes, that's your penalty for making a mistake, and you'll learn next time. Don't it miss that turn. It's amazing. I stop in the middle of interstates. I saw so many people this holiday weekend. 
on highways, stopping like backing up exits, mm-hmm. or if they or if they miss a turn, they'll just stop on the road when without mm-hmm. a blinker or anything, and just refuse to just make that mistake and go around for an extra couple of minutes. So, you know, just just accept that you made a mistake. It's okay. Uh, you will survive, and you'll probably find your way back to the same road you were just on if you just go a little bit further. Is it that we're so tuned out driving because of all the distractions in the cars or whatever that we just basically, when something doesn't go right, our brain just goes tilt, and our natural reaction is to stop? I see it much more now than I've ever seen it before. Also, equally annoying are the people that, you know, they might have written directions like turn right on this road, and you'll be following, and they'll be slowing down almost to a stop at every road that come up to oh that's not it and they speed back up and slow down the next one you follow those guys for a couple miles that gets old real quick hey use google maps on your phone at least it basically i find it probably the most reliable thing you can do anyway Works for me all right that's a good one we're going to wrap up uh this uh, edition of our motorway podcast number 152 i want to thank everybody around the table as well as our audio engineer jim bigwood our podcast creator bob mixter and our podcast producer patrick lucas the guy with the bell hit it again Thank you all for watching, listening, and being a part of the MotorWeek experience. For all of us here at MotorWeek, thank you very much for letting us into your car or your home. And we hope to see and hear you around our place next time. Thanks very much. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.